With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Garden State of Hockey, everyone. In what has been... Kind of the slow death of a season as we carry on. The Devils are still winless through December, and we're recording this on Sunday, so before their game against the Dallas Stars, which we have no reason to believe will be any better than the four that preceded it. So, before we talk about those, my name's Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. So, uh, it's not good. It's been bad. It's been very it's bad. Been really bad. <laughs> so since it, the last show also, we, we should definitely lead off with the fact that our last show being entirely about coaching was made completely invalid about 12 hours after editing was finished, given that the Devils fired John Hines exactly at that moment. So Hines was replaced on an interim basis by Elaine Nasruddin, and we mentioned that while it's likely that they just stick with an interim for the rest of this, what looks even more and more with each passing game like a lost season, then do their full coaching search right now. Looks like Nazardine's the guy that's going to shepherd them to the finish. So I just want some of your thoughts on what you've seen since the coaching change from the team. Obviously, the results have not been there. They have not won a game with him behind the no. bench, but that started back, you know, th- this streak started back with the embarrassment against the Rangers. Absolutely. And in terms of things that have changed, typically with any coaching change, whether it's in hockey, uh, baseball, football, etc., if it's in the middle of the season, there's usually a sentiment from the players that say, oh, you know, we could have done better. We let this guy down. It's not fair. He took the fall, yada, yada, yada. And so forth. There, There's a concept called the dead coaching bounce in that a new coach comes in, well, the players have to play extra motivated and extra fast and extra intense just to impress the new guy or more appropriately to show management that, hey, they aren't the problem. So I will say the Devils played a quicker game. However, from a tactical standpoint, uh, a general run of play standpoint, it's largely the same, which is to be expected since Nazardine has been an assistant of Heinz for almost a decade, going back to their time in the AHL. And Nazardine has been on the Devil staff as long as John Hines was up until this week. And he's been running the defense. He's been running the penalty kill and is largely in charge of the defensive uh, components of the game. So I don't I don't I wouldn't expect Nazardine to show up and say, all right, guys, I got a completely brand new game plan for you all. It's probably going to be more of the same. And based on these three games so far, you got that at the same time in his defense. You've had he's had three games in five days. And only right. one practice. Right. Like, even if he had 
a brand new game plan. He certainly didn't have enough time to flesh it out with the players, flesh it out with the coaches, much less implement it in an actual game of hockey. So, so, so far it's been more of the same. I guess the best thing you could say about them is that the Devils have not gotten totally embarrassed in any of the three games, which is important since that Buffalo game pretty, pretty much killed John Hines' time in New Jersey. Even after in the press conference, Right before the game on Tuesday, Shero basically hinged on that uh, Buffalo game going like, I don't understand how you weren't able to make a five foot pass in that one. Right. Like like and I and I get it. That's that seven one loss was I'm hoping that was the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the thing is, the the issue for Nazardine is that they had a game the night that he took over behind the bench. So obviously, you know, he doesn't get to spend his personal one on one time with the team in terms of um, from a head coaching perspective implementing his game plans maybe there were some instances where he differed with Hines but it's more so just having a different voice in the room however the issue is that the Devils continue to do this thing that they've done the entirety of this coaching regime's tenure in that when they get decent enough goaltending they completely fail to score and when they can actually score goals they really just let everything in the other way they cannot get above replacement level goaltending, it seems, when they score something like four or more goals. Yeah, it, it's just been the story of the whole week, in fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one night that they did get great goaltending and great defensive play, they mustered up just one, mm-hmm. <laughs> one goal, and a six-shot third period against one of the worst defenses statistically in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, to use the old line from The Simpsons, you know, that one episode where Bart actually was doing well in school and Lisa started being bad and, and Homer's just like, why can't they both be good? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like wh- wh- why does it have to be a trade-off? And, and truth be told, it really shouldn't be. Good hockey means you're good at both things because hockey is a transitional game, just like soccer. You know, it, you one can supplant the other, but if you're really good, you, you'll be competent at, at the minimum at both and the Devils just haven't been. And that's been the story of the whole season. And and a big reason why I really think Nazardine will be an interim head coach and he probably will not get a chance to be the full-time head coach short of a miracle this season. And I don't know if it's something that's more something that's more present under Nazardine or something that the players feel a little bit more responsibility given that they just got their coach fired, but Yeah. The Nashville game especially had the potential to be an absolute disaster. They let up two goals in the first less than two and a half minutes of the game. And right back, they battled where they made it 2-2, but that was all happening within the first five minutes of that contest. So I think the snowball potential was much greater for a game like that under Hines. And they were, you know, it was appreciated that they battled back and didn't really fold in this game like they did earlier in the season when having starts like that. But again, the results just haven't been there. I don't know if it's something where they just continue to be snake bitten or whatever it is, but really just the defensive responsibility yesterday was not there. And also it didn't help that there was not a single second where I thought Louis Domingue was going to make a save. When you see Grimaldi going out for the breakaway, you're like, oh, this is a goal no matter what happens. And lo and behold, it could not have looked any easier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If it's, if this is a classic example with you see with a lot of bad hockey teams and a lot of bad sports teams for that matter, where it's if it's not one thing, it's something else. Mm-hmm. If you're, say, a fan of the New York football giants, uh. You know, the one time, hey, the quarterback looks good. Oh, 
Well, the running back just got stuffed three times in a row, and now he's limping. That's great. Oh, hey, the wide receiver made a play. Well, the line just got, uh, you know, left tackle just got injured again, so we're on to the third stringer, and lo and behold, he's a third stringer for a reason. Oh, hey, the offense put up some points. Well, the defense is going to give it up in half the time and uh, make it work from behind again. And, if, oh, the defense is playing well. Well, the offense just threw an interception, so get back on the field. Right. It, it's, a, it, it's almost maddening that as much as I would love to say it's just this one thing with the Devils, it's not. Like, I understand there's been an increase of the take that, oh, well, John Hines got fired and the team lost three games in a row. Guess he wasn't the problem. No, Hines was a problem. And the fact that Nazardine's the interim suggests that the that particular part of the problem is going to continue. Mm-hmm. But that that only addresses part of it. There are other parts that need to be addressed, and they're not as easy to address because some of them are, some of them are going to involve trades, some of them are going to involve better coaching, some of them are just going to be respon- the responsibility of the player, and others are just things that you're not going to be able to do right away. Like this is not like flipping a switch and hey, it works, it, it, go for it. But I mean, there is something to the sense that yeah, they're battling more. They're not completely giving up on games if they're down a goal or two goals, but. I, I almost want to attribute that to the fact that they are still under the shock of having a brand new coach. And truth be told, Dan, as much as all the players say, oh, we like Hines, we like Hines, we like Hines. If you like this guy so much, why did you play so poorly yeah. <laughs> and do the one thing, do the do the things that would get him fired? It's right. like if I if I were to say, hey, Dan, you know, I think you're great. And then, I you know, I call you ugly. I take your food. I, I, I rip you off. I back, you know, I back talk you behind your back. Does that sound like I really like you, Dan? No, it doesn't. Uh, doesn't in particular. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, you know, this is a very much an action speak louder than words situation with respect to that, and it's also another reason why I, like you, believe this is really becoming a lost season. And it's sad that the, the last season's team on December eighth. We're recording this on December eighth, by the way. Technically, had a better record than what the Devils do now. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And again, I'm I'm gonna hammer this point home over and over and over again. The team added talent and a healthy Taylor Hall, and they somehow got worse. Yeah. So apparently they didn't add as much talent as they thought, or they did, and are just like squandering the usage of it. But let's before yeah. we go into you know individual performances, let's just take these games one at a time because again, they found a new and inventive way to lose to the Vegas Golden Knights. Now again, this was Nazardine's Golden. Sorry, Las Vegas Golden Knights. Right. Oh, no, they're just giving Vegas. To... I'm giving giving them back their loss. We don't call them the Angeles Kings. No, no, no. They, I think they're Vegas by design. I don't want them to be Vegas by design. The city's called Los Angeles. No, I'm, looking I'm not at... Los, Las Vegas. Listen, you tell them and all their shareholders that they shouldn't have uh, dropped the loss, and then I'll call them the Las Vegas Golden Knights when they bring it back. But for now, they're the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, uh, they came to town and visited, and the Devils actually didn't look bad in that game at all until... In the third period, they gave the up a natural period. hat trick to Jonathan Marchesaw. And it's actually more unfortunate than it sounds because the that first one. That sounds unfortunate already. Well, yeah. Well, the first one was a bounce off his leg. Mm-hmm. Like William Carlson, Carlson just came down the wing, threw it towards the net, and bam, off, off the uh, leg. It's 2 2. And then, of course, the Devils don't cover a point, And Lord knows the Nazardine system slash the Hind system. They don't really care if the point man gets a shot off, but they do. And in this case, Marchesoff re, uh, tipped it. So that's goal number three. And then that the hat trick, the natural hat trick, may all your hat tricks be natural. 
if they can be. If not, it's a hard, it's an achievement. It's like getting a no hitter or getting a triple playoff. It, you know, it's a very hard thing to do when you think about it. In one period. Uh, in one period, no less. Like it's really hard to do, especially in a sport where you know you breathe on the puck, and you get credit for something. Anyways, so I don't know how this broke down, but the Devils ended up with nobody in the slot in a on a penalty kill, despite the fact that the system their system is designed to do that. Marchessault comes behind one night, takes a shot on Blackwood, and then picks up his own rebound and tucks it in between the right post and his right pad, which is a really hard thing to do. It, was a, it wasn't that big of a window. And it's 4-2, and you're just like, oh my goodness, Jonathan Marchessault just blasted through the Devils in less than 10 minutes for a hat trick. Mm-hmm. That's astonishing. Now, credit to the Devils, Nico Heischer scored on the very next shift. Right. So you had some hope. You had some belief that maybe, just maybe, they could crack Malcolm Subban again. But they did not. Malcolm Subban turned out to be the better Subban of the night and the better goaltender of the night. And so the Devils lost 4-3. Mm-hmm. And then they had some time off. Where two days off. Two days off. And they returned to the ice Friday against a Blackhawks team that, uh, let me just delve into this point again, because we've sure. mentioned this maybe a million times came off of a back-to-back themselves playing in Boston the night before where mm-hmm. they got the game tied on them very late in the game after being up 3 nothing in the third. They still managed to win in overtime, and then yep. they flew to New Jersey. Yeah, they almost handed Boston their first regulation home loss of the season. Mm-hmm. Almost. And Colorado actually ended up doing just that, and we'll talk more about them as the episode progresses. But Yeah, they're a popular name around here, but oh, let's yeah. talk about Chicago for the moment. Yeah, it's no longer 2001. But yeah, so the Chicago game, again, we mentioned that example of the Devils actually getting some very decent goaltending and couldn't get the job done in a shootout, which has been the story of their entire franchise since the shootout was implemented, basically. No, nope, not true. Oh, okay. The Devils are actually one of the best shootout teams up until the second lockout. Up until the 0-12? Yeah. Yeah. Up until then, they were actually one of the best. Okay, so let's but, let's watch. But that, that. was a, but that that that's like ancient history. The larger the larger this whole decade. Sure. How about that? Fine. The larger point, Dan, is that Chicago, like the New York Rangers, our hated rivals, uh, back the Saturday prior, has one of the worst defenses in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Like by statistics, they give up something ridiculous, like thirty-five shots per sixty minutes in five-on-five, which is that ain't defense. Yeah. <laughs> And by extension, the goaltenders on Chicago have really good save percentages because they get a lot of work. Right. And they're also pretty good. So on a night where Corey Crawford is giving out rebounds like his name was Louis Domingue, Mm -hmm. the Devils, they actually did well for the first two periods. The first two periods were okay periods. They were okay levels of hockey. It was okay, Dan. Then in a 1-1 game in the third period, Despite winning tons of pucks in at their blue line and tons of pucks in the neutral zone, the Devils generated six shots on net. Six. It kind of makes you wonder it's, what they were doing that whole time. The Devils, they had more instances than shots of a Devil f- flying down the wing, potentially in a three-on-two, two-on-two, three-on-three situation. Guy on the wing goes, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I'm going to hold up and wait for options. And then none of the Devils make themselves options. So he's on an island with a defenseman. And the defense, and either he dumps it into the corner, r- tries to rim it around, in which Chicago easily recovered the puck and cleared it. Or Chicago makes a play on the puck immediately, knocks it away, and clears it. So the Devils 
Whereas I can believe that Chicago was playing for a point in that game, and it made sense since, again, they went to Boston the night prior. They saw a 3 nothing lead go to 3-3, but they pulled out a win in overtime. They're probably a little tired. Boston's a tough team to play against. They're a legitimately heavy hockey team. And it's the third period. All right, they're just playing for the point. But the Devils decided, nah, man, this movable object's just too easy to move. We're not even going to try. Yeah. We're going to be the stoppable force in that we're going to stop ourselves from being a force. And after two periods of doing otherwise, the Devils shot themselves. Well, they didn't shoot themselves. They lack of shot themselves in the foot, took it to overtime where that continued. And then in a five round shootout, they, they were the they were the losers. It's not the shootout that bothers me, Dan. It's the fact that this was a winnable game in the third period. And again, against a, tire, a team that played the night before and the Devils, they just didn't. They've been truly, truly appalling against opponents who are coming off of back-to-back this year. Like, yeah. I can't imagine why it's this bad, but it just seems like they do not get up for these games at all. They just know that the—they almost seem to know that the other team is coming off a game the night before, and they say, ah, oh, you know what, we'll dog it a little bit. And somehow in every third period, they look outworked by the team that just played a National Hockey League game the night before or the day before. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, players are better conditioned than ever before. This isn't like the 1980s or even the 90s to a degree where, you know, these back to back could be real killers. Like everybody's better conditioned. People are, I guess, mentally prepared. We're in we're well into the season at this point. It's not like it's October where guys are just getting used to playing hockey again. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's in shape. So but at the same time, there's at least an advantage to having the the day off and the other team not and the devils just they just don't they just don't make it an advantage it's it's remarkable yeah and not only do they not make it an advantage you know playing off of it they don't really play like the teams that are coming off of back to back when they play their own because they go into Nashville the next day and again I, I gave them props for this but they go into Nashville and they go down two nothing real early so you're sitting there thinking oh boy this is yeah, one of those disaster games written all over it. But this then it's going to be Buffalo all over again. Exactly. But then a minute and a half after the second Chicago goal, Jesper Brack gets out in front, scores a nice goal, and you're thinking, okay, listen, a one-goal game, that's manageable, that's fine. And basically just through attrition and lack of defense and Rene somehow finding his game in the latter part of the third period, the Predators came away with a 6-4 to win. And... The Devils, I have to just reiterate the fact that if this was earlier in the season, they would have completely folded. This wouldn't have been, in, by any stretch of the imagination, watchable after the first five minutes. But they did find a way to make this game entertaining, despite no one on either team really caring about their own end. Yeah, I mean, truth be told, the Devils, I think, have committed more sins in their own end of the rink. There were way too many times where they would just get pinned back they couldn't... They, mishandled the puck trying to get it out or they run into each other or something stupid would happen. They had no legitimate answer for Philip Forsberg, who looked a lot like Peter in the second period. Uh, Kyle Turris for a couple shifts just kind of ate everybody's lunch and made everyone question, like, why was he ever scratched? Nashville had plenty of errors of their own, and the Devils did take advantage of a couple of them, which was good. But this one... And Rene didn't really have that good of a game. He's He's been a very good goaltender in five-on-five five this season, Dan, but that game, he did not. Mm-hmm. So to, 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 a, to, that, to that end, you do have to credit the Devils for 
creating opportunities against them. Five on five play ultimately ended up being totally even, which is good for a road game, a road game, a second game on a back to back against a national team. That's not, I don't think, I don't think they're as bad as their record implies. Mm. That being said, the devil's defense just made more mistakes and had more errors. And Domingue was just worse than Rene. I mean, yeah, the first three, three of the four first goals, maybe the first four goals total, not really his fault, but the last two, the two in the third period were just like, as you said, they were just straight up bad. When Grimaldi was going off on the breakaway, my heart sank because I knew Domingo was going to get beat here. And my goodness, he got beaten easily on that one. He was a doormat on that breakaway against Grimaldi. I mean, again, as you said, if this was under Hines, say, two weeks ago, they probably lose the game 5-1 and we just go, wow, that was terrible and a waste of everybody's time and be done with it. 6-4, it's like, all right, well, they tried. Still lost, but they tried. Hey, it was interesting for parts of it. You still believe that maybe, oh, you're only down by one. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Nope, it's not happening. But hey, was it, was it like they got, they, they weren't jobbers. They were, they were going to lose the match, but they weren't, they got some offense in. They, they got some stuff in. They didn't just job in a 30 second squash match. It was more like a six minute match where you knew they weren't going to win, but at least they made it interesting at points. There's your wrestling analogy of the day. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is that if there are positives to take away from these last couple games, seems like Hall is raising his own draft stock, or not draft stock, trade value. Yeah, um, I mean, he already had his draft stock. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, sorry, I just uh, misspoke I there. Know. But his trade value is going up, which is a good thing because they're basically parading him out and auditioning him in front of several of the teams who have been linked to a possible trade for him on this road trip. They're visiting... Colorado later on the trip. They visited Nashville, who's been linked to him, and also they get to see Arizona. So these are all teams that have had um, at least some chatter around trading for Taylor Hall. So it really does feel like, you know, there's the scuttlebutt floating around Devil's Twitter that he's played his last home game. And if that's the case, then of course I wish him well and hopefully he finds success somewhere because I just feel bad that he's been stuck on all these teams. But he's been playing pretty well over these last few and. I mean, I hope that Hughes and Nico are ready to take the mantle because once he's gone, it's their team moving forward. Absolutely. And to, to Hall's credit, he's been playing better hockey after a bad October. Like November was a much better month for him. And he's finally scored some goals. And they're not just like cheap. Well, okay, the, the rebound goal on Hughes was kind of a cheap one. But, hey, they're goals. Right. You know? You're not going to sit there and go, oh, well, Hall's goal was kind of lucky, so who really cares? Like, no, the man the man needs goals. Well, earlier and, in the season, that puck bounces over his stick, you know what I mean? Exactly. But, um, yeah, it, it's pretty much it, – it's stunning in a way because a couple months ago when we were starting the show, we were pretty much talking about, oh, trading him would be a bad idea. Don't trade. No, you got to keep him. You got to keep Hall. And now we're all just completely resigned to the fact that not only not only is he going to get traded, we're all just like, all right, just do it. Just do it now. <laughs> just get it over with, okay? Just just do it and, and make it happen. But you raise a really good point. Once Hall goes, it's really going to be all about Heischer. It's going to be all about the big deal Jack Hughes. It's going to be about Kyle Palmieri to a lesser degree. And there's going to be a big gaping hole at left wing. Mm-hmm. That uh, you question, is that going to be Nikita Gusev's spot? Is it going to be Blake Coleman trying his best to play above his level? Do we want to really go for some L's by sticking Miles Wood there? (laughs) Who knows? Uh, you know, that's that's the thing about a trade is that uh, you, the guy you still have a spot on the roster you got to fill. 
But from an offensive standpoint, it's going to be coming down to Nico and Hughes. And that's actually a, a, another point from that is that in this past three games, we didn't get Nico and Hughes in the same game. Uh, Hughes was held out of the Buffalo, Vegas and Chicago. I'm sorry, Buffalo, Las Vegas and Chicago game uh, due to that uh, ankle ankle issue he had from uh, the Montreal game the prior week. He came back to play in the Nashville game. He created a goal. So good job. And he sure was out sick for the uh, Chicago and the Nashville game. I th- I, no, I take it back. Hughes was in the uh, Chicago game as well. Look, the point of the matter is this. <laughs> that both of the guys that you mentioned who were going to carry the team have yet to play together in recent days. Right. So I'm hoping on Dallas on Tuesday they'll get together because it's going to be an open question of whether or not do you move one of them to wing in the meantime? Do you stick them on the same line and try to w- work it out? Or do you want to split things up and hope they can figure it out? I mean, I guess if you have nothing to play for this season, it, you really have no risk to take here. I mean, you're going to lose either way. You might as well just try some new stuff. Well, it seems that they're pretty resigned to this mentality already because they've mentioned in interviews about putting Hughes on the first line. Better to get him some experience playing tough minutes now because moving forward, that's what they're going to expect him to do. They're going to expect him to not just stack up, but excel over a lot of teams' top lines. And you know, while he has the skills to be there, it hasn't quite all manifested as quickly as it did as for you know for some others not just in his class but in general others who may not have been selected first overall but found a way to advance a little bit quicker because some of the other some of the teams they're playing on are much more built to shelter someone like that where they can really shine Hughes is thrown into the fire right away now because it didn't work out with him on the lower lines they needed him to help generate some sort of offense and so far you know he's been playing recently with Hall and Palmieri, and that'll go away once Hall's traded. But again, obviously you always care about results, but at this point it's hard to look at the standings and say, yeah, we have a legitimate shot here. All the formula is here. We're just, you know, the results aren't going our way. Like, no, they've been very no. bad. So yeah. better to get him some exposure to that kind of gameplay, those kinds of minutes, as the season progresses in a relatively low leverage situation so that he's more used to it when the pressure's on him more. There's a degree. Well, there's a by playing with Hall and Palmieri, he's received some of that and he's going to receive some of that no matter what line he's on on this trip because mm-hmm. you're on the road. Like if I'm a if I'm a team looking at the New Jersey Devils, if I'm an opposing team. I'm seeing, oh, 18 year old rookie rookie center on a bad hockey team. I know who I'm targeting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, truth be told, he was in the run of play in five on five hockey. He actually has a really good stat line for the whole season. Like he's. One of the few devils above 50% in Corsi. One of the few devils above 50% in shots uh, percentage. He's one of the few devils in who's above 54% in the expected goals model, even though the expected goals model thinks really highly of New Jersey this season. Uh, But that's something you can, you know, I guess CJ will tell you about one day. Scoring chances, again, have been favorable for the devils with Hughes on the ice. So, I mean, to a degree, you know, Hughes has been a generator of offense. And if you go by the notion that since most teams go power for power, that he's has seen some tough minutes. I will agree, however, that he does need a lot of help on defense. Mm-hmm. But that, that's 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 really should be no, not shocking to anybody. He's an 18 year old center. Uh, you know, you know, nobody knows. De- very few players come into the NHL and understand how to play defense. But Nazardine could give him a defensive zone start here and there just to introduce him to the idea because he's he, he's only had 33 of them all season mm-hmm. which is an astonishingly low number yeah, so it's actually crazy he's the anti-santini yeah, yeah well 
<laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Except this guy could actually do. Well, actually, that makes him the anti-Santini. Right. Look, the point <laughs> is, is that you're right in a degree that they could open him up to more situations and get him used to it because this is what's going to happen with him. But uh, even if Hall doesn't get traded this week, <laughs> which is possible, hey, mm. you could still do that. You can you can still give him more responsibilities both ways because you're going to have to do it regardless if Hall's on the team or not because you're expected to make this guy legitimately the big deal on offense. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens in the NHL these days. As I mentioned, lots of teams go power for power. Well, guess what? We expect Hughes to be powerful. So right. might as well you know get him ready for that right now. Another positive I just wanted to briefly mention before we move on to our second half uh, I talked about it last week, but it really looks like Nikita Gusev's found his game. It really looks like he more, he's more comfortable out there now. While he still you know needs to work on some of the giveaways, he's been more responsible in his own end. Playing with Coleman and Zajac has been very, very good for him, and it's nice that he's helping that line generate more offense than it normally would. Yeah, and Gusev, over the last 10 games, for example, like if you looked at his 5-on-5 five five numbers from, say, October, for example— you would recoil in horror about how low they were. Mm-hmm. Like, they were so low that you would almost question, does this guy belong in the NHL? Right. If his name wasn't Nikita Gusev, you probably would be thinking that. But over the last 10 games, he, as you said, he's been playing good hockey with Coleman and with Zajac. And yeah, he's still defensively suspect. But when he steps on the ice, it's, you know, the play's generally going in the right direction, um, which is a far cry better than where it was earlier in the season. So there's definitely, so that switch has worked out in a good way. I mean, there are still some things I'd like to see more from him. I'd love to see him just shoot the puck more often, take some initiative. He's got a pretty good shot. There were a couple times in the national game, for example, where he's literally in or next to the slot. He's got a lane at the net. Just shoot it, man. Don't pass it across for a worse shot. Mm-hmm. Just fire it. But the difference between now and then is that back then he would have lost the puck along the way and there would be no play in the slot. They, they'd be skating backwards already trying to scramble to play defense because Gusev had a horrible turnover. So the, the, that in of itself is progress and I am pleased to see it. And one of the, and since he signed for another season, one of the questions the devils will have to answer this season is can Gusev do enough now to show that he's going to be an asset at least for next season? Cause if you figure where Ray Shero is for his career, where the Devils are, what ownership may be thinking. I don't think they're going to be okay with just having another loss season next season. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, they need to turn this around, and that means they need to look at who they have now and really decide, all right, you're good, you can stay. You're good, you can stay. You're, you're good, but you want to leave? Fine, but we're going to get somebody good for you. That sort of thing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, um, yeah, hopefully whatever assets they have that are tradable increase their value over the next couple of weeks because it looks like we're in that firm seller mode already somehow. People's names are being floated on the trade block and they're so far out of a playoff spot and they haven't won in, was it, four games, five games, but all of December so far. So it's time to see what they can get and it sucks to do in the you know, before even the halfway mark of a season, but... That's what they've played themselves into. So we're going to take a break and see what questions you guys have about how they got into this position. And uh, as a little teaser, I guess, who's to blame? So we'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back, and we have some questions for from you guys uh, for us to tackle, just given our last post and kind of some of the changes that have gone on. We, You all know about the coaching change. Obviously, everyone and their mother from The Athletic has written an article about Taylor Hall at this point and why it makes sense for their team to trade for him or why it doesn't make sense. We've, we've talked about Hall pretty much till the cows come home and it seems like it's narrowing down to a couple of western conference teams and maybe the montreal canadians as a destination so we'll see what happens with that but i i I don't know john do you feel like there's anything more to add on to what we've already talked about with this guy it looks like a conclusion is coming sooner rather than later and i think that's appropriate because the last thing the devils could need right now is taylor hall getting injured right and therefore scuttling a trade until later Um, It sounds like that based on the chatter. And again, you have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt because I understand other teams may not be maybe looser with their sources. The devils are pretty tight with them. And I know that people on Twitter will say, oh, but we we had a source telling us Hines was getting fired. Yeah. Like two hours, like an hour before he was announced as being fired. Right. Like that's not that's not really a leak if it's imminent. (laughs) You know, the Kovalchuk trade got broken on the Internet an hour before it was announced and it was even better what anybody thought it was mm-hmm. like it, the devils are very much a team where when it comes to trades signings, etc., is you'll know it when it happens, you know, you, you won't get a, a day or two to like play it out, think about it and whatever. That being said, Dan, mm-hmm. the hot chatter is Colorado and it's, and there's a bunch of different packages it could be, but it's going to involve some type of a pick, some type of a prospect, maybe a roster player, a defenseman is most likely going to be involved. It's actually the one position that Elliot Friedman called out saying that the Devils feel that they need a defenseman, which, it's you know, true. It's, well, the stats suggest, well, let me rephrase it. Let me, let me clarify some of the stats that the Devils have suggested they do. And some of them suggest that they don't, mm-hmm. I think it's coaching, but Elaine Azardine's not going anywhere at the moment. So, Hey, get a defenseman. Sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that that's the current hot chatter. And for all we know, it will be completely different when it actually happens, whenever that happens, however that happens. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing more we can add. There's Everyone's kind of given their fan packages already. A lot of people's are unrealistic. There are some realistic ones floating out there, but it seems very likely that this is going to come to a conclusion sooner rather than later. So wait on it, see what happens, and just know that going into 2020, Taylor Hall probably won't be on this team. Maybe not, but definitely not by the summer of 2020. Yes, okay, definitely not. So, sad conclusion to the era of Taylor Hall in New Jersey, but like I said, maybe. And at the end of the day, whatever package they get back for him, if you look at the overall exchange, it's going to be Adam Larson for whatever package of prospects they got. So that's still, in my eyes, a win. Oh yeah, the Devils are going to get better than Adam Larson out of this. Unless Shero, I don't know, I guess isn't paying attention, mm-hmm. but well, whatever. Another player that's been kind of ragged upon in the media, kind of been another name as a potential target for a move, which is going to be very hard to pull off, 
is P.K. Subban, who just became a devil this summer and has five points to show for it right now. So, you know how I mentioned November 18th (laughs) when we did our power ranking and I said, hey, Subban's playing well and Will Butcher is not. And since then, the two have done this weird Freaky Friday kind of swapping of performances because over the last 10 games, Will Butcher has been arguably the team's one of the team's best defensemen. And P.K. Subban has been the worst of the regular defensemen. Only Mirko Mueller has had been astonishingly worse. And what's stunning is that with P.K. Subban is that it's not all his fault. The coaches took him off the power play Mm -hmm. like early in the season. Now he's not on either power play unit. And mind you, the power play unit for, for the Devils hasn't been good this season. Like only one unit really actually does anything. And even that's kind of rare. Only one defenseman on this team has a power play point, Dan, and it's Sammy Vatnin. Not Will Butcher, not P.K. Subban, not even Damon Severson for the few games that he was on it. Just just Vatnin. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, is crazy, and, by the way. Yeah, and P.K. Subban makes his money on the power play. Like, it, it's actually mystifying. It's like, you know, it's like if you go to go to a baseball team and say, hey, we signed a left-handed pitcher for a lot of money. Where is he going to be? Oh, no, we don't want to play him regularly. We'll make him We'll make him a setup guy for a closer. Mm-hmm. What? What are you doing here? Like, you're not paying us. You're not paying a setup guy a lot of money. Like, no setup guy, by definition, is worth a lot of money. They're a setup guy. They don't win you the games. They just keep things even until the closer is ready to get the job done. That's my, ba- that's my attempt at a baseball analysis. Maybe I should have picked a better sport. Mm-hmm. The point is, is that if you're – if you get PK Subban on your team and you don't know how to put him on your power play, the problem is not PK Subban. Right. The problem is with you, coach, because this is a man who has been successful literally every season on a power play. Different, you know, different schemes, different team situations, different levels of pressure, different guys around him, but he gets the job done. The Devils just go, oh no, 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 no. We we don't want him involved. We want Sammy Vatnin in there instead. Nah, son. That that's on you, Coach. That's on you, Kowalski. Well, okay. So, to be fair, though, when he was quarterbacking the power play early in the season, it seemed like there were a lot of mistakes being made in keeping the puck in the zone, just finding the pass. I don't know if he had the yips or the jitters of taking on the pressure of being like the guy on this team, which has never but, been a but, problem for him before. But it was not good. But you're right, he wasn't good. But neither was neither is Vatnin, is my point. Vatnin mm-hmm. makes just as many mistakes on the power play. He still is on power play one. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, the Devils, for some bizarre reason, set up in a 1-3-1, one, one, where uh, more often than not, it's a passing party between Hall, the other winger, and Vatnin, and they settle for a 60-footer into traffic that has no chance of going into the net, much less getting to the net. Like the power play setup is completely not is completely bonkers from a nonsense standpoint. It, it's mystifying to me that Subban doesn't get a second chance at this, but Vatnin continues to get them. And yeah, he maybe has some turnovers in the beginning of the season, but so did everyone else on the team. So, I mean, the whole notion that oh, we he, he's suffering under the pressure of being the guy, as you said, he's been the guy everywhere. Ironically, I think the problem is that he's not the guy here. Mm-hmm. You know. He's used to being the guy, but the the formation doesn't lend himself to be the guy. Taylor Hall presumably wants to be the guy, but Hall is setting up everything, so he's not shooting unless they pass it back to him. Palmieri has somehow been relegated to being in the bumper, which is one of the worst places you want to stick a shooter because he's not going to be open. So this power play is is just 
all over the place. And it's a big reason why Subban doesn't have points. And it's a big reason why people are going, well, Subban's not doing very much in the ice. Of course not. One of the bi- best things he's good at, he's not allowed to be a part of it. Right. And that's the thing. It's it's not made better on a suffering team. Like if this was happening, if this point drought was happening where his numbers, as I recall, still don't look completely terrible, but there's it's the general problem that's plaguing this team offensively and has been since pretty much the departure of, what, Ilya Kovalchuk, maybe? They just haven't been able to generate anything with him on the ice, and it's weird. It's a weird thing because you look at him carry the puck in. It's... He could do it. It looks smooth. He can do that for sure. He could do he could do that a lot of times, and it actually gives the Devils a much needed element in their breakout. Like the other team actually has to respect the defenseman holding onto the puck. They just know it's not going to be a fifty foot pass to the side of the neutral zone where the puck will be chipped in or deflected in or caught and then skate down the wing. Like, you know, it gives them a badly needed in, you know ingredient. Almost like you have a set like a ham sandwich. He's the tomato. He's the lettuce. He's the mayonnaise. He, he's adding to the sandwich. Mm-hmm. It's not just a simple plain, you know, ha, ha, ham on, uh, you know, wheat, rye, whatever bread you want to use. I don't care. The point is, is that he's adding an ingredient. But the Devils, for whatever reason, don't want to do it. And worse, worse than is that he's not playing well n- at all. Right. Like his, his, like the last ten games. Like this goes back to what I was about my original point. So on November eighteenth. You know, up until then, the first seven, 19 games of the season, Subban has been playing pretty well. But the last 10 games, he has been run over and he has been anonymous out there on defense, mm-hmm. whether it's closing down on guys, whether it's taking penalties on defense, whether it's not making offense happen. A uh, part of me wants to think it's it, there must have been a shift of like who's in front of Subban because Subban has been playing a lot. Like, he actually has more minutes than anyone else in five-on-five over the last 10 games. He's played 170 minutes. Most of them have been with either Severson, some of them have been with Vatanen, some of them have been with Green. The the, the pairings have not been have not worked out super well. And truth be told, the Devils themselves hasn't been exactly great in the last 10 games. They've won two of those last 10 games. But for the amount of minutes that he's playing, you expect more out of Subban, and that's a legitimate argument. The argument that he's too worried about endorsements or he's too worried about the pressure or blah, 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 that those are nonsense arguments. But if we're being real here, Dan, and we have to be real, he is not playing like the player that we saw a month ago. Right. And that, that's a problem. And the fact that the coaches don't seem to understand how to use him appropriately makes me concerned about his long term future here in New Jersey. Yeah, well, he's being told to play more defensively when it's not really his game much at all, but he has to be more responsible when the goaltenders aren't capable of making a save. And that's not working because that leads to a lot of overthinking. It leads to him making a really easy-to-read pass right to Rocco Grimaldi, basically. That leads to the dagger that ended the game against Nashville. It was very much the same exact mistake he made against Buffalo in the first game, or in the sorry, in the second game of the season, first one in Buffalo. Their last goal was a similar thing where Subban slipped up and the puck squirted out from behind him, and it was a one-on-one easy goal for the other team. Now that's happening in a 7-1 game, but in a one-goal game where the Devils still had a chance to come back because everything was flying into both nets, that's not a mistake you can afford to make, and obviously the eyes and focus will be on him for that. And again, that wasn't the only mistake made in the game, but it came at an absolutely crucial time. Exactly. And and the reality is that the expectations are different for Subban than compared to other players. For example, going back to that Nashville game, Mirko Mueller 
you know, decided to not hook hook up a stick, you know, not tie up a stick, not do anything to the stick of Philip Forsberg, and Forsberg had a very easy goal in the second period. Everybody's reaction was, well, that just confirms what we knew, that Mirko Miller is terrible. And by the way, he's been terrible for the last four, his last uh, four games, which is why Matt, Matt Tennyson was playing over him. Anyways, but with Subban, he's getting paid $10 million this season. He has a $9 million cap hit. He was, you know, he, he had a press conference. He had an introduction section. At, you know, there was a lot of push to show that this guy was a big deal. And if you've been following hockey for the last decade or so, he has been a big deal. Like, he's not been a scrub or an overrated player. He's like, he's been legitimately a very good defenseman. So to see him play this poorly is astonishing. It's similar to Taylor Hall in the sense that, yeah, okay, Miles Wood makes a mistake. We just go, okay, Wood's not a very smart player. That's why he's a bottom six player. It is what it is. Hall commits a turnover. It's, oh my goodness, Taylor Hall. Does he care anymore? Does he, does he want to be traded now? Like, you know, like. And that's and the big difference for that is that the expectations are just higher for a player like Hall, just like they're higher for a player like Subban. And as such, the reactions go with that. It right. is what it is. It's it's heightened expectations that lead to more scrutiny. And mm-hmm. the thing is that in New Jersey, star power has always been kind of on the quiet side. But it's not doesn't mean it's a problem if it's on the bigger, more exposed side. He was just rated the best social media follow in the league. And for team morale and for just spirit and kind of getting people excited about the team, he has a great program to bring uh, local yeah. cops and kids to the games. Like, I don't think any of that has to do with his hockey playing. I think a lot more no, it doesn't. has to do with what's around him. And I wish people, like you said, would focus on keeping the on ice on ice and the off ice off ice because it doesn't seem to have bothered any of his teammates in the past it doesn't seem to have affected their games he had plenty of success on other teams while doing all the same stuff it's not a him problem it's a devil's problem absolutely and truth be told the him problem is his performances right at the end of the day as much as we have criticized john hines and elaine nazardine rick walski you know suban has to go out there and make the plays and he's I guess, you know, as simplistic as it sounds, it could be something as simple. He's just in a slump. You know, everybody gets into a slump. Um, unfortunately, he for the amount of minutes that he's played, it's it's not good if he's having a slump. Add to the fact that, again, I'm talking about the last 10 games. The Devils won two of those games. Right. And they fired a coach. They're winless in their last five. So ain't nobody happy with anybody on the New Jersey Devils when somebody's making a mistake. Right. And even if you do something good, like, say, I don't know, Taylor Hall dashing in a puck created by Jack Hughes, great. But if Hall goes out and makes a mistake on the next shift or later in the game or, or the Devils end up losing, every, the, the message is still the same. Hall, get out of here. You know, get traded. You know, just end this. Like, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's it's cruel, but it's real. It is what it is. And Subban just has to play better, and the coaches need to be more honest about how to best use his talents and use his abilities on the ice because it's not just Subban that they're having trouble with. With a lot of players through different points of the season, it's been a struggle to figure out how to fit the proverbial pieces of the puzzle together, as we've seen with Gusev, as we've seen with Butcher, as we've seen with Wayne Simmons to a degree, as we've seen with Jesper Volkvist to a degree, as we've seen to Jack Hughes to a degree. Like, there's a lot of guys that at different points in this season, you just scratch your head of like, why are they doing this? And why are they playing with these people? And why are they functioning this way? But, uh, and they have only, I think, partially solved the problem because, of course, they have only partially solved it because they're only they've only got nine wins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you it's, know, <laughs> it's not good. It looks like this team is perfectly capable of winning less than 30 games somehow, which is an absolute disaster. 
Exactly. And it's a further indictment of the coaching staff and even of management. And so let's address that because that leads us to some of your questions. And uh, we'll, we'll take a few now and save a few for the others for the other episodes. But we do have some inquiries about uh, management specifically. So if you could, you know, pull up any of those, let's All see right. what people think. All right. So on All About the Jersey, a commenter by the name of NJDev17 writes, because in the post he wrote that this is we're entering rebuild number three. Or rather, we said that in the last episode. Maybe I said it. Maybe you said it. One of us said it. Mm -hmm. He asks, when did the first two rebuilds end? The Devils are still in their same rebuild since 2015. Rebuilds don't end with a playoff run. 2017 and J.D. was flawed, but the coach extracted most out of the players. Hall had an insane season and Kincaid was unconscious. I'm having a hard time identifying when the second rebuild ended. Rebuild ends don't end if your team wins the draft lottery because prospects, other than the top three picks, don't immediately start playing in the NHL. Any team going through a rebuild is building towards consistent playoff contention. The Devils have not gotten anywhere close to that. Now, my comment to that was, well, that's just an either – that kind of comment is a bigger indictment of Shero. Uh, and I said we would discuss it on the next episode, which is this one, mm -hmm. in like because it is a good topic. So I'll, I'll answer the question. I don't agree with the concept that a rebuild doesn't end when you make the playoffs because there's a huge difference between – what you're building, it, there's a huge difference between you're just stacking up prospects, you're just tra uh, hoping for a good lottery ball selection, and you're you're just getting future assets in the hopes for a better tomorrow. Making the playoffs is a big step forward because it shows that at a minimum your team was at least mediocre in the NHL. As I've said many many times, mediocrity in the NHL means you're in the playoff hunt. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Devils are not mediocre; they are bad, and to get to good. You got to get to mediocre first. You don't just flip a switch and go, bam, Stanley Cup. It doesn't work that way. It mm -hmm. just doesn't. So I I would argue that the rebuild, at the very minimum, the rebuilding was ending this past summer because the Devils were making aggressive moves to add players. They did more than just draft Jack Hughes. They listened to Taylor Hall say, I want more talent. Well, they got more talent. They made a big trade for P.K. Subban. Uh, Cheryl went back to the free agent market and signed a player that they made that they didn't necessarily need, but I'm glad they did sign him, Wayne Simmons, for five million dollars, which is a which is not nothing. That's actually a significant one season contract. They went out and made a trade to get and sign Nikita Gusev, who was considered the best player outside of the NHL at the time, and an instant NHL player right away. On top of that, they um, you know those were their big moves. And those are moves that you don't make if you're planning to finish 30th in the NHL. You're, those are moves that you make to say, this is how we're going to get to the next level. This is what we're going to do to get back to becoming that 2017-2018 team that made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So even if even if you don't agree that there were three of them or we're about to enter a third one, I would definitely argue the rebuilding was ending this past summer. So I, I, that's my issue with the question however the larger point i think nj dev 17 is trying to make is that you know what is Cheryl really doing here because if it, the fact that we're, the devils are as i mentioned earlier their record is worse than what they were in a terrible season last year on the same date so what's happening here dan yeah so i think your point is exactly right about when the rebuild should have concluded but i think this is indeed the year that they were looking to say okay 
we're done building out this roster the way we wanted to because there's almost full turnover. Now, whether to me, a rebuild is you get rid of the core parts of one roster and move it on to another, which they have done. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a guaranteed playoff team after a rebuild. It just means you have the pieces in place to move forward and build around rather than have an aging core that has not been performing and has been just plugged with stop gaps for years at a time. This was supposed to be the year where the five-year plan manifested, and that's where Shiro comes in, and things have gone completely off the rails with that plan. It looks like he knows he's staring down the barrel of another difficult period in Devil's history, but the important thing is if he can manage to get a lot of assets for Taylor Hall, accurately address what's going on with the roster and address those issues as well, I'm willing to say that a lot of the problems they were having were not because he didn't build a roster that couldn't compete. I think everyone thought that this roster would be competitive, and that is a praise to him. I think maybe he waited a little too long to act on Hines, but it's clear that Mm -hmm. there was a more personal connection there as well. He carried him through a couple of teams and wanted to see him succeed, but unfortunately the message just wasn't coming through in the end, or it was, and it was the wrong message. I think if this happens you know, maybe another year or two, because just given how they look this year, it's hard to expect them to be competitive for anything, no matter what they do this summer, especially because it looks like goaltending help is not on the way. But I don't know if he's... The roster construction aspect, I don't blame him for, because by all measures, this should have been a competitive roster. I would just say maybe he should act a little quicker on pulling off some of maybe something like a hall trade but even not that more so with the coaching staff and who he seems to be hiring for that again this is not to me something where i look at the disastrous results of this season my first thought is not to blame ray shiro okay well unfortunately i have to disagree with that Mm -hmm. because as much as i was heaping lots of praise on ray shiro i was happy with the moves that he was making in the offseason and a lot of those decisions even though i didn't like them i understood them for example like doing nothing in the summer of 2018 i didn't like that but um okay it happened it is what it is um on paper it looked really good it looked like as you said this was gonna be a competitive team i thought this was a playoff team and the fact that the Devils are so far out of the playoffs is definitely an indictment of Ray Shero's decisions. And I understand that to a degree, you know, every coin flip he took, for lack of a better term, he, he lost the coin flip. However, we're not in – this is in 2015 where he gets the benefit of, well, he's following up after a long-standing management process. It's all got to be torn down. It's an old roster. It's not a competitive roster. You just got to tear it down and suffer. Well – Cher already did that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think making the playoffs in, in 2017 was such a big achievement because it was a big and an important sign that things were moving in the right direction. I think that was a big reason why a lot of people were very happy with Cher was that, oh, my goodness. Yes, it did take Hall playing out of his mind. Schneider had to play great in the first half of the season. And then Kincaid had to be great for two months. Yes, but they did it like they didn't fold. They didn't falter. They didn't lose the spot. They got it. They barely got it, but they got it. And that's a big step forward than where they were the prior two seasons. Mm-hmm. However, that should have been a first step. And since then, the Devils have done nothing but take steps back. And as much as and as active as Sheriff finally was in this summer, which again, I thought were good, they all went awry, and now the Devils are worse off because in part of holding on to John Hines for too long 
giving him a bizarre extension back in January that he didn't earn. It would have been one thing if he gave him the extension after the playoff series, but not after being out of the playoffs in January 2018. Um, That was a big mistake. And not acting sooner on, on a number of different things, whether it was getting goaltending help. I think the rise of Mackenzie Blackwood, I think, undercut a lot of that thinking. Also, not realizing that, um, you know, you know, you're going to need a green replacement. Green, I think, started off the season all right, but he has also suffered in recent games like Subban. And whereas Subban, we can believe it will get better because he's still pretty young. Well, okay, he's 30, but he's still young enough to re- rebound. Whereas with Green, he's 37, <laughs> and he's he's not likely going to rebound too much good in the near future. Mm-hmm. And he's still playing important minutes. So. There's definitely a lot of things that Cheryl didn't address that's really coming back to haunt him. And he doesn't have the he doesn't have the luxury of having time to work with. This is as you said, this is Cheryl's team. There's only two players on this current active roster that he did not sign with the contracts that they have. And that's Travis Zajac and it's Green. Green's contract is ending this season. Zajac ends after next season. And among all the issues with the Devils this season. Even though Green isn't very good and Zajac is what he is at this point, they're not even in the top five of the problems of this team. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this is Shero's team. And as such, Shero's team is failing. So to that end, he deserves the criticism. And if he can't turn it around quickly, ownership is almost going to have to either dump him or they're going to have to ask for one hell of a game plan from Shero as to why they're going to be okay with the team going five for six on playoff misses next season. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the weird thing to think about, too. It's Lou was in charge for so long that when he did leave, it just felt so weird to think about a GM being hired who could potentially not be here in less than a decade's time just because it was my whole life up to that point. Lou was one of the longest tenured executives for a single team in the NHL, and he had to bow out with how unfortunate the roster became. Now we're not seeing much progress. You're right, but again, he didn't necessarily draft everyone on this. Did he draft everyone on this roster besides the two? He didn't. He didn't draft everyone, but he signed them all to contracts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he signed Severson to his six-year deal that he currently has. He signed Wood to his current deal. He signed Coleman to his current deal. Um, he's moved a lot of players, and that's actually another point that, that also is to bring up because Jeff and uh, the other Binghamton fans, or Binghamton fans, or however I call them these days, mm-hmm. the B Devils, they're very unhappy. If you think New Jersey fans are unhappy with how things are going, the B Devils are just as salty and, and understandably so because their team has been miserably bad. And Schneider looks like he's completely done. Gillis Sen looks like he's not going to be anybody. Evan Cormier doesn't look like he's anybody. Nobody's scoring goals except for Brett Sini and occasionally some other guys. The team is dead last. And virtually everyone, in bit, not everyone, but a lot of people in, uh, down in, down in, uh, in the in the, for the B-Devils, they're looking at Ray Shero as a big reason as to why their team isn't very good because most of that roster are players that Ray Shero drafted. And... Mm-hmm. Not very few of them look like they're going to be NHL players anytime soon. And, you know, as much as the big criticism, one of the big criticisms out of Lou was Lou's final few years was, well, the drafting really went bad. Well, outside of the top guys and Jesper Bratt, you know, the sheriff's drafts aren't looking so hot at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in a couple of years we'll get, we'll all get hopefully and thankfully proven wrong, but based on what's coming out of the AHL, uh, it, it it's not looking good, bro. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, some organizational rot we've got going on. Yeah, but it's all Sharrows is my point. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't 
this you can't blame Lou for the minor league being terrible, so you don't have anybody to really call up. And the majority of the guys who are having problems are guys that Cheryl brought in or signed himself. Right. It's Cheryl's team. Uh, I know, but it, it's also that thing where I don't really – I don't think that much about Binghamton, and I guess that's not fair to them. And well, I get it. I mean, we're this is a New Jersey – you know, it's Garden State of Hockey. It's not upstate New York of hockey. No, but, but it's also, you know – Again, with building this team specifically, even Binghamton was expected to be a little better than they have been because they had a lot of players who got a lot of time in the NHL last year. They got a lot of guys who had some good experiences. They they had a lot of minutes played on a injury-deprived team, and they were supposed to come back with that knowledge and be leaders in the room, and that hasn't happened either. No. no none of these guys are panning out, so it feels like it's going to be a long way away to fix anything that's been going on here and again to what extent you believe that's Ray Shiro's fault that's that's up to you but it's easier to say he should get a chance to fix this rather than oh he should be gone too because there have been a lot of crazy circumstances that have surrounded this team for what seems like years now be that as it may, Dan, you know, again, he doesn't have the benefit of the time to fix it because, again, his whole thing was, hey, I got to tear everything down. I'm going to remake it in my image of how I want the team to play five years, five seasons later. And the team is almost back to square one, except that they're not as they're not old. They're just a young, bad team. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. You know, you knew that goaltending was going to be a concern for a couple of years and you didn't address it. You knew the defense had some holes. You didn't you didn't you, you tried to address it, but you didn't address the holes that you really do have. And, the, and the, the big name that you got, your coaches don't know how to handle him. So what's going on there? And your offense under Hines has continued to be one of the w- w- uh, poorer offenses of the league that were consistently under. Fifteenth uh, in, in expected goals every season. They were consistently below fifty percent in Corsi. You know they just weren't a high scoring team, even when Taylor Hall had his awesome season. So, right. You know, in in a league that's been pushing more and more, you need an offense to compete. You need an offense to compete. You need an offense to compete. You want to be quote unquote fast attacking and supportive. And the Devils have gone away from trying to do any of that. They'll they may, they may be fast, Dan, but they ain't being attacking very much, and they're surely not supportive. Yeah. So. So, it, unfortunately, Shero has really very few people but to blame but himself in this case. And uh, if I were Josh Harris and David Blitzer, I got, I'm got i asking the hard questions to say, if you want to fix this, convince us that it's not going to be a repeat of what we were just seeing. Like, why should they he get a chance to fix it? On what basis should he get a chance to fix it? Because he had his opportunity to remake it already, starting from scratch, and this is the result. Well, the fact that one year was entirely botched when hall got injured one you know no that was he, half a season he couldn't half well it, it was 33 games hall played 33 yeah. games that year so it's yeah the, it's dev- three quarters the devils, of the season and the devils were nearly dead last in the league in those 33 games yeah but that was way less of a close to last as they are now they were still within range of reasonably being competitive when he went down no, they weren't. They they were dead in the water by then. No, come on. They they were not that far out of a spot by that point. It was a little bit earlier. I, I will I will I will tell you thanks to hockeyreference.com. It was again. The... I remember his last game. I believe was against Columbus that year. You know what? I'll be nice and we'll say Christmas. So sure. it won't include it won't include the uh, Hall game. So hockey NHL scores. The Devils were sitting eighth in the Metropolitan Division. Mm. 
Familiar ground. They, they had a record of 12, 16, and 7 in 35 games. And they were last in the Eastern Conference and tied with Los Angeles for the fewest amount of points in the NHL. But that's not like 12, 16, and 3 is not already well, what it is now. Dan, they had a point percentage of 38%. Right. And the it's Devils... even worse this year somehow. But yes. with him being around, I mean, again, they ended the season very poorly, but. You can't point, say I, that those last, what, 40, 49 games were indicative of how they were playing the first. I, I don't know. It just it felt like I, it was a very dramatic shift when he went down. Of course, it was a dramatic shift when he went down because he's, he was their best player. He was playing really well and the Devils were losing tons of games despite it because the goaltending was bad. The defense was bad. The scoring depth was bad. The coaching depth was bad. Hall was one of the few bright spots of those thir first 33 or so games that season. So when he went down, the Devils were already dead in the water. And it, when you add in all the other injuries, it just further confirmed that nothing good was going to come out of this season short of, you know, a modern miracle of a run. What never happened. I mean, again, the Devils were a bad hockey team in 20, 2018-19. They were bad when they had Hall. They were bad after they lost Hall to injury. They were bad all the way around. And again, that's Jero's team. <laughs> you know? <sighs> he's, got, he's got no one to blame but himself. The, the problem I have is that whether or not it's his team, no one expects them ever to be this bad. Like, no one has ever... No. I mean, people have put expect, fault on him, but no one expected them to be this bad every year. I didn't expect to be that bad. I yeah. certainly did it. However, but they were like at some point, you know, your my predictions from September, the end of September, beginning of October, they just ring hollow. They're just old predictions. Like I thought this team, I thought this season's teams was going to be good. Mm -hmm. I really did. I really wish they were. I don't like the fact that they're where they are. I don't wish that they were. I don't I don't enjoy it. I take no joy out of this. I don't feel good about this, but it's the reality of the situation. Mm hmm. We got to keep we got to stick to what's real, man. And what's real is that this team is really bad. And yes, Hines was a problem for that. And they got rid of Hines. They need to further fix the problem of, of behind the bench by re getting rid of the staff. And the new head coach will in inevitably do that, provided that he doesn't bizarrely keep Kowalski or Nazardine or Melanson. Uh, but there's serious problems with how the performances are going. And the fact is the players are it. At some point, you got to stop saying, look, this team should be better than what they are and just admit that what they are is what they are. And I think he'll be allowed to have at least another coaching search to try it again because he basically came hand in hand with Hines, too. Well, it was his guy. So I'm sure it ownership, was. It, so ownership is I'm sure the message is going to be you better get this head coaching search right. Right. And I hope he gets it right, too. I don't like seeing guys getting fired. I don't. It, well, with Hines, it was deserved, but I don't enjoy it i didn't do a happy dance or anything mm -hmm. you know especially when i found out the interim was going to be elaine nasradine no it's a bummer for everyone because you want it to work out you want him to develop with the team i want the team to win <laughs> you want him to develop and grow as a coach as the team grows and starts to get results with all these young guys manifesting into something and that just didn't happen so i think what happens is that he he will get one more coaching search at least to try and find a staff that works but he does have some holes to address in the roster that are very very needed to address and have been for a while but i i don't know i i tend to not put as much blame on him and a little bit more on 
the players and coaching staff, but it is getting to a point where you can only be futile for so long before Correct. things start changing. And this and has been an unprecedented run of, I mean, besides the early days in New Jersey, this has been a pretty unprecedented decade of futility. Well, they still managed to have a cup run, but it doesn't look like that's going to be anywhere near their future. No. And to your point from those, those GMs back in those early eighties, they didn't last very long either. Mm-hmm. Cheryl lasted longer than most of them. In fact, I think, He's the I want to say he's the second longest tenured GM in Devils history right now. Hines isn't Hines the second longest coach? I believe that is also the case. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he Which, also has a losing losing record to go with it too. Right. So you think about it, like this this franchise, did they only have one or two good decades out of four? Yeah, I guess so. Well, they had. Or oh, sorry, just the nineties and the two thousands. Yeah, exactly. The seventies were terrible yeah yeah. i Um, I don't want to go into rocky scouts area because those years were as horrible as this year has been those years were so much worse (laughs) well that's unfortunately their their golden age ran from uh 93 all the way up till uh 2012 and uh yeah they gotta try to do all this stuff again will it be under ray shiro or will it be under someone else we'll see how the rest of the season plays out Let's do a quick look ahead to the schedule and wrap things up because I feel we're running. Yes, a long. and the other and the other question that we did get, I'll, I'll address them. Henrico Suave and Stevens fan wanted to ask us about potential coaches, but I feel like that's going to be a that's going to be a good topic for another episode. Yeah, that's something that we can address closer to the summer, just because it feels like that's around the time where their search will be relevant. Right. So coming up ahead is the remainder of a four game road trip. The Devils will be in Dallas on Tuesday. That's going to be a tough game because Dallas has uh, some of the best goaltending in the league, and they're actually a pretty good team by the expected goals model. Then again, they, the expected goals model thinks the Devils are a top ten team. So yeah, you know, take take, and they also think Columbus is the third best team, and Columbus is you know almost as bad as New Jersey. So take 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 the expected goals model with a little grain of salt here from a te- at a team level. Anyways. But Dallas is a, is a pretty solid team. They're coming off a win against the Islanders, so that's not going to be an easy game on Tuesday. And then Friday and Saturday comes a nasty, nasty, nasty back-to-back on the road. They're going to be in Colorado on Friday. Will Taylor Hall be in a New Jersey Devils uniform or a Colorado Avalanche uniform that night? Who's to say? Probably a Devils uniform, but i got to stir the pot a little bit, Dan. But truth be told, Colorado is hot right now. They're, they just like the Washington Capitals, they are coming into this week with six straight wins. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not Colorado will still be on a winning streak by Friday. But even if they lose a game, I'm sure they're looking at the Devils and going, yeah, we got this. Right. And then on Saturday, the Devils will play another team that has been getting great goaltending this season in the Arizona Coyotes, a team who has disappointed and stunned the Devils fans back in October with a big comeback victory in the guess what? third period Mm. so this game will be in arizona and arizona is actually a solid team they this is not these aren't your dad's arizona coyotes of you know just being kind of below mediocre and missing the playoffs most of the time no these are the arizona coyotes of the day and they are a good team yeah they haven't had a run like this since basically 2012 either (laughs) well even in 2012 they were luck they were more lucky than you know Good, I but they were a playoff. The, the conference were, finals. Well, yeah, because their goaltending played out of their mind until they ran into Jonathan Quick. Well, Darcy Kemper, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, but the point is, is that the Coyotes are good and the Devils are not. So that's going to be a tough game. 
So that's your road trip. And then they'll be back at home on the 18th against Anaheim. Yeah, I'm guessing they'll be minus one Taylor Hall as he's, again, paraded about all these teams that are rumored all the time to trade Maybe. Maybe. And you know, these Coyotes uh, were down 2 nothing and 3-1 in their game against Chicago tonight, and they've just tied things up. So looking forward to that contest and my roommate from Phoenix rubbing it in my face that the Coyotes are better than the Devils for maybe one of the few years of our lives. <laughs> well, you could just respond to him that they're actually in Glendale. <laughs> That's true. That's true, and he's well aware. But anyway, thank you for listening this week. Thanks again for all the great questions and discussion. Obviously, these aren't the talks that we want to be having around this team, but they are the ones that we've ended up having, and hopefully things do turn around. But this team might look very different by the time we speak next or in the next couple times. So, you know, keep an ear to the ground. Make sure you don't fall for any stupid prank accounts that are – tweeting garbage it's not worth anyone's time when there's official news exactly when there's official news to share it will be shared let's see how they perform the rest of the season because everything is pretty much all but lost at this point so that's been garden state of hockey thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week let's go devils go devils